Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. I want to talk to you today about the rise, not of the new. I want to talk to you today about the rise of the way. The rise of the way. I want to talk to you not just about the physical church, uh, not just about Christianity, or, or I, I should say Christians. Again, before Christianity was called Christians and Christianity, before they were called church people, they were called people that's prescribed to the way. If you want to look at look it up later, but you can actually go to Acts. It talks about in, in the book of Acts, Paul talks about in Acts chapter 9, he says that he gets letters from, from the people in Jerusalem to actually arrest anyone who was of the way goes on later in Acts 24, verse 14, and he talks about uh, that according to the way, uh, which was a sector, that he actually, Paul, admits the God of his fathers, that believing all the things that the fathers had written about in the law and the prophets, that he himself prescribed to the way. And I want to talk again this morning about the way, and in the light of the resurrection of Jesus, I want to ask you this question as we get ready to start today on what's next. What's next? I want to talk to you about the rise of the way. And my little title for today, if you're taking notes, is what's next? What's next? Now that Jesus is out of the grave, now that 20 centuries of life has gone by, what's true of what happened back then that still has pertinence, still has significance, and still actually has implications of my life and your life living in Orange County, or maybe you're living in Texas, or you're in Idaho, or you're in Michigan, or you're in Florida? What in the world corresponds to what happened here then that still has power, pertinence, and priority now. What, what, what happened then that affects now? And if you have your Bible today, if you're new to our church, I'm going to read eight verses out of the book of Acts. Acts is the first book after the Gospels, arguably one of the most important books in the Bible. Without the book of Acts, we have no idea what Christianity looks like after the resurrection. It was written by a non-Jew. He was actually a doctor by vocation. His name was Luke. Luke actually traveled with Paul. And what we find here in the book of, Luke, the book of Acts is that he, uh, he literally picks up right after the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to pick up reading in chapter 1. This is, again, this is right after Easter, the first Easter. It says this, the former account, I made, O Theophilus. Theophilus, uh, there's a lot of speculations, but one, one of the ideas of Theophilus is that this letter wasn't actually written to a person. It actually, Theo means God. Uh, the rest of the word actually means love. And so it actually translates, Theophilus means lover of God. And so some speculations are that the book of Acts was written during a time of hostility towards Christianity. So he actually wrote a letter that would address not only one individual, but everyone that loves God. Here is the account of the early church. And he says this, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Say it with me, do and teach. One of the things that makes Jesus different than any other religious figure in the world is he doesn't just teach things, he does things. There's a lot of smart, brilliant religious leaders that never did anything. What do you mean? I'm talking about beyond knowledge. They didn't heal deaf ears. They didn't open up blind eyes. And they certainly didn't get out of their own graves. The things that he both did and that he taught. Goes on. And he says this. Uh, and until the day in which he was taken up, 
After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given the commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself, he had presented himself alive after his sufferings by many, not some, but many infallible proofs, being seen by his followers during 40 days. I want to remind you that, again, how did Christianity spread from a little tiny sector in Palestine to around the globe. I want to remind you, it's because he actually not only came out of the grave, but was seen by over 500 people for, for longer than a month, a month and a third. He actually comes and he's visible to people all over the world by many infallible proofs for 40 days, speaking to them, pertaining the things of the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Say it with me, wait. Wait for what? The promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time, right now, in our year, restore the kingdom of Israel? We're, we're in bondage to Rome. Will you restore it? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, say with me, but. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you do, you'll actually become my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want to talk to you about what happens after, what happens after the resurrection. What happens after you invite Jesus into your life? What happens after you believe that Jesus is still alive? What happens next? I want to talk to you about the rise of the way. I want to pray this morning. After I pray, I'm going to tell a couple stories. If you laugh, we call them jokes. We try to have a good time. I don't think that you have to be weird, overtly serious, uh, disengaged to actually preach the truth of the Bible. I actually believe that God has a good sense of humor. How do you know? Because it says that he actually laughs at his enemies. And if you have the ability to laugh at your enemies, you got a good sense of humor. Today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to share a couple stories. And then we're going to jump into this idea that I believe is pertinent today for you where you are. That God is going to show you what's next. So, Father, I pray right now all over the world, God, wherever people are watching from, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill up every living room. I pray you'd fill up every person that's sitting on a couch, a love seat on the floor, that's doing dishes, that's doing laundry, that's folding clothes. I pray if we're listening in a car during our commute, God, if we're actually watching right now live on Facebook or YouTube or on Instagram, I ask you right now that you would come. I pray you would fill people up. I pray that you would build people up. And I ask you that at the end of this time together, they would say, man, I'm glad. That was a worthy hour. That was a worthy hour and a half of my life watching that entire service today. We pray blessing on all those watching. God, I thank you that the best days of the church are ahead of us, and the best days of the Lakers are ahead of us too. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, somebody said, amen, amen, amen. My, my goodness, thank you, Stacy, for, uh, for playing the keys for me. Not sure if you can hear the keys in your house, but I can hear it in here. It always makes preachers feel more spiritual when someone's playing a piano and tickling the ivories for you. I, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know about you, man, but I'm just like, I'm ready for human interaction. I'm, I'm thoroughly ready. I think this is like a time in, in, in history that even introverted, isolated people that enjoy being alone are desperate 
for human interaction. I think that we're going to see a rise of extroverts when this is all done. People are so starving, so hungry. I'm just, I'm tired of being in my house. If I could be honest, I am, I am sick and tired of being in my home. But I'm going to stay in my home because I'm going to obey the law and honor my governing officials. But the time is coming that we're going to get out of our house. And in the meantime, I'm in my home. I'm, I'm enjoying this time with my family. We've been going on walks every day. And we've been trying to, you know, spend family time together. And, and we're, you know, we're just doing a lot of different things inside the house. Crafts and homework. And I became a homeschool teacher. Actually, I did. I became the principal of the, of the homeschool. My wife is the teacher, and uh, she works for, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to get in trouble for that. But I want you to know, uh, I, 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 love this, uh, I love this season because we've had time that we normally haven't had to do things that we don't normally get to do. I know many people right now are watching more Netflix, more television. There's nothing on SportsCenter. Literally, SportsCenter is, is recording athletes playing Xbox right now. It is a dark window in history for sports. There's no movies playing. Come on, our pets' heads are. No, they're not. But it's, it's a wild time right now in history that there's literally hardly anything going on. I don't know if you've ever been there before in the black hole called Netflix. It is a dark hole. It is a wormhole to another galaxy. My wife will occasionally talk me in. I'm not a big TV watcher anymore, but she'll occasionally talk me into a TV show. We've been trying to avoid any show that involves uh, documentaries about tigers and kings. Come on. But we've been watching a couple other uh, shows on uh, television. And it's interesting. You've been there before. You're exhausted. You are physically, like, your eyelids are, are sealed shut. Like, you're, you're, you're having a hard time staying awake, staying conscious. But you need closure. And the issue with Netflix, and I would go on the record to say any television, any good TV program, is that they design the episodes to rob you and to steal from you any sense of closure. They get to the end of the episode, and the only, if it's done well, the only thing they've accomplished is giving you a greater appetite to stay awake for another hour. You ever been there before? I'm going to sleep, babe. We're going to sleep after this next season. We're going to go to sleep after this next season. I was going to stay awake for just one more episode, but it's going to be another season. And before you know it, you're in your pajamas for four days. You haven't shaved. You haven't showered. You haven't brushed. No, just me. I've never been there before, but I would say that there's something about, you know, when you finish up something good, there's this appetite in you that's like, I want to know what's going to happen. I want, you ever watch a, maybe you watch a movie in the theater and like me, maybe you, you watch a spoiler and they say, stick around after the credits. You have to watch all the boring credits of all the people that you don't know, of all the things you didn't know existed to produce the movie you just watched. And after 60 minutes of preview, uh, after the credits, there's going to be a 20-second scene that contributes nothing to your life. But you stay because you want to know potentially what's coming next. I don't know what it is about when you experience something good, there is a deep appetite for more of what's to come. And I was thinking about 20 centuries ago when Jesus on the original Easter got out of the grave. And I want you to just kind of think for a moment here. If you're one of his misfits that were following him, one of the 11 that were still alive, and you went from the worst day in your life that he was in a grave, you're mourning, you're, you're sad, you're scared out of your mind. The Bible says that the disciples were hiding in an upper room, 
Doors were locked. They were sucking their thumbs in the fetal position. They were freaking out. They were scared. They thought they were going to get murdered next. And literally, Jesus walks in through the walls, does a magic trick way beyond anything David Copperfield could perform. And as he comes into the room, it says that, that he, he starts to give them courage. They're fearful. They're timid. They don't know what to do. And they go from the lowest day imaginable emotionally to seeing their, God, their, their Lord, their God, back from the dead. And not only, can you imagine this? The lowest of lows, he's gone to the highest of highs. We're just getting started. In their mindset, they thought that this was the window of time. If he can come out of the grave, he's going to restore power. He's going to restore the temple. He's going to make this thing like it originally was. And we're going to get our power back from Rome. It's crazy that on the, on the Passover, Jesus performed with his disciples. I want you to remind, remind you of this. Can you imagine taking Passover in the Roman context that you're actually a slave, celebrating a time that God liberated slaves from Egypt, even though you feel enslaved to Rome? And it's interesting that this is the climate that they're like, man, finally, we have Moses 2.0. He came out of the grave. And he's going to get us through the Red Sea through his blood. And now we're going to be able to start a new, a, a new power, a new surge, a new authority. And they thought, here it is. Here's our opportunity. And it's interesting, though, that it doesn't happen that way. And they go from the, the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. He's alive. And after 40 days of revealing himself to 500 people, they ate meals together. They spent time with each other. Jesus would actually give affirmation to these guys. And literally turn a, a coward who was a coward 50 days before into this, 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 this otherworldly brave hero named Peter that would actually help build the church. It's wild that as you read the story in Acts chapter 1, after 40 days, there's actually, there's actually uh, five things that God, that Jesus commissioned them to do now that he was going to go back. It says that Acts chapter 1, and we didn't read this part, but after he said these things, it said that he floated into the sky. Way better than Chris Angel. Floats into the sky. Until he could not be seen anymore. And there was angels standing there that said, hey, the same way he left, he's going to come back one day. They thought it was going to be in a week, two weeks, a month, or a year. They had no idea that the, the time frame that they were in. But I want you to know that when they left that day, they returned to Jerusalem. And all I can think about is that conversation as they walked back a day's journey to Jerusalem, talking about what was to come. What's coming next? And I think that we see here in Acts chapter 1 is he gives some spoilers as to what happens after the resurrection. What happened to the early followers of Jesus that prescribed before Christians were called Christians, before the church was called the church, they were called people, a sector of people that prescribed to a teaching of a carpenter rabbi, come on, that actually was called the way. Probably got the idea out of John 14 when Jesus said, I am the I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. This is, this is my thought, is that he actually says that uh, I want you to do five things. The first thing he said in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, is he told everybody that believed in him, that followed him, number one, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go. Say with me, go. I believe that many people have no idea that Christianity is not about staying. 
Following Jesus is not about retreating. It's not about sucking our thumbs in a cave, isolating ourselves from humanity. It's not about survival until Jesus comes and raptures one and leaves another. It's not about watching episode after episode of the Left Behind series. It's not about buying as much Christian clothing as you can per- purchase physically and listening, come on, to Carmen and to DC Talk until Jesus comes back. Listen, it's not about staying and hiding. It's about going. It's about going. God goes. Reinhard Bonnke, great evangelist, just went home to be with Jesus last year. He said, God goes with those that go. God does with those that do. And I think the absence of much of God's spiritual, vibrant life in believers today is because they want the power of going, but they want the lifestyle of staying. And I want to encourage you today that God doesn't want you to come on to stay and to play it safe. Unless you're under a stay-at-home order with this thing going on right now. But I want you to know that God actually, he commissioned the early believers to live a lifestyle of going. I want you to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to, number, number two, is I want you, now that the resurrection has happened, now that I'm getting ready to come on, bring what I died to purchase to humanity. I want you not only to go, but I want you to wait with expectation for the promise. I think, that, I think that Christianity isn't just about going. It's about living life with, number two, expectation. I think so many people have a doctrine. They have an ideology and a theology in God that requires nothing of the sorts when it comes to expectation or faith. I have major issues with a belief in God that requires nothing on our part to believe. It says that it's impossible to please God unless we come to him believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently pursue and seek him. See, God isn't honored by when we just, we just say, well, God exists. Listen, there's a huge difference between believing in God and believing God. Monumental difference between, well, do you believe, I believe in God. Then actually going, you know what, right now, today, I'm believing God. I'm believing God for healing. I'm believing God for restoration. I'm believing God that he would bring beauty out of the ashes, that he'd actually bring health out of the sickness, that he would actually cause the darkest window of my life to become the brightest window of my life. I love Song of Solomon. I've been meditating on this verse lately, but I think it's a great anthem for this season. Song of Solomon 8, 5 says, I came out of the wilderness leaning on my beloved. I believe that God wants us to come out of this weird down season leaning on him in a way that we've never leaned on him. Listen, God is a God. Listen, doesn't want us just to go. He wants us to live with expectations. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise, the promise that the Father gave to you. And they go on. They say, well, all right, we'll we'll, we'll do it. And then they they respond. This is where humans are always uh, funny. It's like, you know, the commercial for the, the cereal, Silly Rabbit, come on, tricks are for kids. It's like, they, silly humans, they say, is this the moment, is this the hour that we're going to get power back from Rome? This it? And they were talking about something completely off the map of what God had in mind. And here's what my thought is for those watching today is, what do you do when the expectation you have is not on the map that God wants to give you? 
I believe that after the resurrection of Jesus, there will always be areas of life that don't have clean answers. There's always areas of life that don't go the way you thought they were going to go, didn't take as long as I thought it was going to take to get there. I thought it would look different, feel different, taste different. I thought it would be different. What do you do with moments and pieces and parts of your life that don't go according to your plan? I believe what you do next after the resurrection with the parts of your life that you don't have answers for is you do the third thing, is you trust. You trust. I want you to know that you never outgrow, you'll never outlearn, you'll never out-educate the part of your faith that requires trusting in God. I want to remind you that your eight-pound brain, look, I'm not saying you can't get smarter. I'm not saying you can't grow in knowledge. I'm not saying you can't grow in faith, that you can't grow in wisdom. You can do all of the above. But I want you to know that for eternity, we will never fully understand the scope, the depth, and the magnitude of who God is. And with the ambiguity that we want answers for, we have to fill those gaps not with a simpleton, God, whatever, I don't get it, so just forget about it. I'm talking about a trust that goes, I know, even if I don't understand it, God is too good not to be trusted. And I would go on this, the record to say, as, as, as maybe if you go to Oceans, as your pastor, is I would say that long ago I came to the conclusion of three simple thoughts, is that number one, God works all things together for good. So even if I don't understand it now, even if I don't understand it in this lifetime, one moment of my life, I'll look back because, listen, God not only works all things together for good, he always has my best interest at mind. I've learned that God never asks for anything from me that won't benefit me in the long run. God asks for a weird relationship. If he wants me to get rid of some music that degrades women, if there's things in my life that are just not pleasing to God, there's habits that I'm participating in, there's lifestyles that don't honor him. When God asks me for something, it's never to cram my style. He knows it won't, it'll actually benefit me in the long run to honor what he's saying. Because God is a God that works all things together for good. He always has my best interests at mind. And listen, I believe that the third thing that I always kind of keep in, my, in the forefront of my brain when I'm going through challenging seasons of trust is I always think about this, that in the light of eternity, God will be honored through this. In the light of eternity. When I weigh my life on the scale compared to not just temporary, but the eternal, I believe that God, if I respond in an honoring way to him, God will be glorified. God will get honor in the, in the light through the weight of what's happening right now in eternity. So what do you say about people that actually come back? What do we do now? He says, go. He says to wait. They said, are you going to restore power? He says, no, I want you to trust. And number four is he says, you will. You will. After the resurrection, I want, you to, I want to warn you that Christianity is not just about great beliefs. It's actually about, it's about great power. It's about great power. We have a lot of educated believers today that are so deep intellectually, academically, but they've never experienced the firsthand power that comes from the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem because after the resurrection, I want to remind the world that Jesus physically left the world, physically. But he, he died not only to leave, he died to actually send his Holy Spirit. And I want to just encourage you today when you hear about the Holy Spirit, so many people, they, they think of weird things they've experienced, they've seen, they've been witness to. I want to remind you that the, the Holy Spirit was the part of Jesus that empowered Jesus to do what he did, to say what he said, and actually to get out of the grave. 
The Holy Spirit reveals the scriptures to us. The Holy Spirit is the one that actually tells us what to say. And some of you in there watching, you know there's been conversations you've had with people that you start sharing your life, you start opening up about what you believe about God, and there comes a point that when you leave the grid of what you know, and words start coming out of your mouth that are beyond your education, beyond your, ed- your experience, beyond your training, beyond, your, beyond where you come from, and you're like, where is this coming from? It's the Spirit of God himself speaking through you. God will give you wisdom that's beyond your years, beyond your education, beyond your upbringing. He is a God. Listen, this is where God comes in. Is He says, I want you to know that after the resurrection, I need you guys to live a life that actually goes, that expects, that trusts, and actually a life that actually welcomes the power of my presence. And when you receive my power, I want you to know the, the last part, the fifth part about being uh, what, what's to do next is that life isn't just about trusting. It's not just about going and expecting. It's about actually sharing what you have seen. He says, fifthly, I want you to go because when you receive power, you will be a witness. A what kind of witness? An eyewitness. I want you to know there's no Fifth Amendment right when you become a believer. You don't have the right to remain silent. You have the right to speak up. Because everything you say can and will be used by God to make a a difference in the life of not only the next five years, 10 years, 30 years, but you don't realize that what you say, what you share, what you preach has the power to actually affect eternity. We don't have the right to remain silent. When you see something that's so real, you can't help but to share it. Some people are more excited and more passionate about their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or their peanut butter cookies or their peanut butter crackers or, man, it's the new movie they just watched or the show they just DVR'd. I want you to know I, I have a problem when we're more excited about a sporting event on Sunday than we are about a God that celebrated us uh, on, on a Sunday morning. I think that Christians should love Jesus more than the world loves sports. I think that we should love God more as followers of Jesus. I think we should be more advantageous, more tenacious, more vocal. I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm not talking about pushing it down someone's throat. I just think that when you experience something good, you talk about it. Did you see those Christmas lights on that address across the road? They have the greatest Christmas lights in Orange County. When you see something unusually good, your natural proclivity is to talk about it. And I want, I think many people today, they're not talking about it because they're not seeing anything. They're not experiencing anything. And I want to encourage you, if you're a part of a community that there's no life, there's no one getting touched by God, healed by God, giving their lives to Jesus, getting baptized, getting filled with power, seeing a noticeable difference. If you're the same way you've always been five, ten years after you've been a part of a community of faith, you might want to look around and go, man, am I growing in this environment? Because if I'm paying big money to a gym membership and I hire a trainer and I'm just as out of shape five years down the road as I am the first day I walk into that gym, it's time for either a new trainer or it's time to start, I don't know, something else. (laughs) Something for change, I was trying to say. I want you to know I really do believe that God wants us to continue to grow in the things of God. Everyone said amen. So the way, there's a rise of this thing called the way. Paul talks about the way. 
and I, I love this, is uh, the, the major anthem of people that prescribed to this new way of living. I want to give you just a few quick things here. The first thing that I believe that the, this new good news movement, it was a movement of good news. They went into all the world. They began to share. Listen, this is crazy. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have, the Bible wasn't even called the Bible until 200 AD. It was like, they didn't have, they had the Hebrew scriptures, and they weren't reading the Hebrew scriptures in the early church to become uh, believers in Judaism. They were reading the Hebrew scriptures to learn more about the total story of who Jesus was. These early followers, they had the Hebrew scriptures trying to find Jesus in them, and all they had was is eyewitness accounts of a God that came out of the grave. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. The teachings of Jesus were validated by the actions of Jesus. It was coming out of the grave that gave life to his teachings. And so we find here that these people start spreading the good news. It talks about in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter, chapter 4, it says that the, the religious sector was so furious with the early disciples because it said they filled Jerusalem with the teachings of Jesus. They filled the city against the Roman Empire, against the religious, the religious order, they ha- against all odds, unexplainably, they actually filled the city with a different message, different type of news. What did the news look like in the early movement? How did the church go airborne? And it did. It went from no, like hardly anybody, 120, to 3,000 in one day. Went to 5,000, went to 10,000. There was persecution. It began to spread. And literally, I'm telling you that Christianity spread faster than any virus that's ever hit the earth. And when it did, I I I want to look back at this. How did it spread? How did the way get so big? How did it spread so fast? And I believe it's because you had people that were eyewitnesses that shared really shared uh, six things. They shared, number one, that Jesus came. His resurrection means that he finished, that he finished the law. He finished it. The first thing that we know is, is that, that these early followers said, everything that Moses said we couldn't do, everything that we tried to do in our own strength, everything, all the 613 commandments that we tried our very best. And the truth is, if you fail in one, you fail in all 613. And every year we kept on sacrificing an animal to prolong judgment for the next year and sacrifice another animal to prolong judgment for another year. And they come on the scene and they say, hey, no longer are we sacrificing animals for one nation called Israel. We're actually, and this is what I love, if you've never read this before, John chapter 1, I think it's verse 25 or 29. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, right, which was the perfect Lamb, that would replace all animal sacrifices. But I want you to point this out to you. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of Israel. doesn't say that. John prophetically declares that Jesus didn't just come to sacrifice for one nation. He actually came because John 3.16, God so loved the, the world. And he said the Lamb was coming to not only pay for the sins of one people group in one continent, in one nation that spoke one language, he was coming to actually abolish the sins of the world. So the first followers, they proclaim, number one, this is a God that finished what Moses started. He was a finisher. That's why on the cross, Jesus shouted, last words, it is 
what's finished? The requirements that humanity could never finish themselves. This was the first good news. The second good news is that they, they spread is that number two, because it's finished, people are forgiven. There was forgiveness with this God. Sin was dealt with. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Theological word for it is people now that believe in Jesus are just justified. Let me, let me share it so you'll never forget it. Justified literally means just if I'd never sinned. Justified. It literally means that when you confess, Jesus, I need you. I'm not a bad person that needs fixing. I am a, a spiritually dead person that needs to come to life. I need you to be what I cannot be. I don't, need, uh, I don't need someone to correct my mistakes. I need someone not to give me a second chance. I need someone to give me a second birth. Would you please forgive me? I need a savior. I say it all the time, but if your greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist to make money. If your greatest need was fame, he would have sent a celebrity. If your greatest need was, 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 was uh, entertainment, God would have sent an entertainer. If your greatest need was technology, he would have sent a scientist. But because humanity's greatest need was forgiveness, he sent a savior. And this Savior comes on the scene to forgive, and he, he actually takes our place, dies in our place, and justification means that God paid for it in a way that we can now live just if I'd never done it. It says, Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our mistakes from us. How is that so powerful? Because if he said, as far as the north is from the south, if you go north long enough on the globe, you will eventually go south. And if you go south long enough on the globe, you will eventually be going north. But if you go east, you will never at any point go west. And if you go west, you will never at any point turn in east. As far as the east is from the west, they never cross. And God says that I will remember your sins no more. Just if I'd never done it. The third message of the early church was not only that God had forgiven, not only has Jesus finished, but how about number three, that Jesus actually came to fill no longer physical temples, but to fill people. That the temple became mobile. That God, listen, in the ancient world, temples were the holiest structures. They were the holiest place on the planet. In every city, the building that was the most revered, most honored, most esteemed was the temples. And when Paul comes on the scene and talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says it with a, he says it with a um, uh, what, what is it, maybe a, a Canadian accent, don't you know? No, that's a Minnesota, that's what it was. Minnesota. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know you were bought at a price? He says that actually you, no longer are you in a physical, God is no longer dwelling in physical buildings. He's literally filling bodies, physical human beings. He's turning broken people into the holiest things on the earth. He's turning humans into temples. And he says this, that, that it's mobile. God is not limited to a space, a street corner, uh, a ge geographical location, that when God fills a person, wherever that person goes, God is going with that person. 
God, listen, he is mobile. This was a crazy idea in the ancient world. And this is why it spread like an airborne virus because God, he, he was uh, filling mobile temples. He was forgiving people. He finished the law. And how about number four is that God came after the resurrection to give people a focused mission. A focused mission. The early church was not perfect. I want to I want to be clear on this. In the beginning, the church was gloriously a gloriously messy movement with a laser focused message and a global mission. It was led by men and women who were not fueled by what they believed, but but what they have seen. It was a it was a movement of eyewitnesses that said, I was this way, I, I saw this, I experienced that, and I am no longer who I was. I want you to know that, 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 that what Christianity does is it actually gives your life a means to an end. It gives you meaning to an end. So many people, they go, Mark, why, why don't I feel any purpose? Why don't I feel my life doesn't mean anything? I'm an accident. I, my life doesn't really count for much. I'm just going gonna, gonna to live 80 years, 90 years. I'm going to buy a three- or four-bedroom house. I'm going to go on a vacation every year. I might backpack Europe. I might, I might have three kids and maybe two pets and a goldfish. Come on, name Bruce. What, what, what's the big deal about, you know, my life? I'm telling you that life does not take on powerful meaning until you realize that God has you alive, that your life is connected, not only your meaning is connected to living on mission. So many people lack meaning because they never live with a focused mission. What is the mission? Jesus says in all the gospels, he says they want you to go into all the world. And basically, if I could paraphrase, I want you to tell the world what you've seen. I want you to share with the world what you tasted. And if you got baptized, baptize them. If you've been discipled, disciple them. If you, if you think this is good for you, it's good for them. I want you to live with a focused mission. These people were willing to be crucified upside down, thrown into boiling oil. These people refused to deny the, their follower because they has a laser-focused message. And it was a global message. It was, a glo- it was to the world. It was addressed to everybody. And I love number five. Are you still with me today? Stacey, come over with the keys. I'm about finished. Is that the way it spread, it rise because they proclaimed a Jesus that finished, that forgave, that filled, that focused. And how about this? They talked about a Jesus that came out of the grave that actually gave them an example that was worth following. Jesus lived a life in such a way that not only did he fulfill all the requirements of the law and he fulfilled all righteousness, but the scholars tell us that he also died, he also lived fully God, fully man to give us a template, to give us a model, to give us a, a, a fixed point that we could actually know what true north looks like. Jesus was kind to those that were mean to him. Jesus forgave people. Even on the cross, he could have he called down fire. And on the cross, he promises a murdering man that today he would be with him in paradise. Jesus models humility. He models self-service he, or, or self-sacrifice. He, he's willing to lay his life down to serve everybody else. You see, Jesus didn't just live this amazing life so we can read about it and go, man, that was cool and man, that was special and must be nice to be God. I believe that if Jesus could do what he did because of the Holy Spirit that lived inside of him, 
that if we today would receive his same spirit, Jesus actually went on the record to say that the works that I do, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. I believe that Jesus wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can actually follow in his footsteps. Jesus prayed for people that were sick and they got better. I believe that we're supposed to follow in his footsteps. Jesus actually took authority over darkness. I believe that we're supposed to follow in his footsteps. Jesus actually ruled and he reigned. He actually, he actually took authority over everywhere that he went. Cities were transformed by his presence. People were touched by God, by his presence. And I believe that Jesus gives us, are you following me, an example. I believe whether you're a dentist, you're a doctor, you're a school teacher, you're a nurse, maybe you're a fireman, I want you to know that God gave us an example of what, the, what, what life is supposed to look like. Jesus said that no longer are you going to do what's written on tablets. I'm going to write my precepts on your heart. What does it mean to have the law written on your heart? It literally means that you become aware of how Jesus would respond in any given action, in any given situation. God wants us to have a focused mission by following his example. And the sixth thing that he does, and the reason why the way spread all over the earth, is because number six, he actually comes on the scene, and everybody started circulating that not only did Jesus come out of the grave to finish, to forgive, to fill, to focus, and, and to give an example to follow, he actually came because of forever. He promises forever. He talks about a kingdom that has no end. And here's the wild part, is he has a forever kingdom that actually has the ability to invade us here and now. Jesus says that he'd actually go, John 14, verse 3, he says that I go to prepare a place. I'm going to die on the cross so that I can go and prepare a place for you and you and you and you so that one day in eternity, you will be with me forever, for always. But he goes on the record to say after that, he actually says, when you pray, I want you to pray like this, on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, I want, I want to be very clear on two things. I do believe, we do know, that when we close our eyes in this life, and we open them in the next life, that there is a hereafter. Some people say, Mark, I can't believe in God because of the pain and suffering in the world. Pain and suffering were, were, were always, always a part of earth's package since Adam and Eve. A, a lack of pain and suffering was only promised on the other side of this life. Heaven is where there's no tears. Heaven is where there's no stress. Heaven is where there's no pain. Heaven is where there's no, no, no sickness. But the Bible says that God gives us authority here now to actually smuggle in some of what's going to be in the next life into this life while we're alive here. And I want you to know that Christianity spread not because of just the teachings, but because of what they did. Jesus didn't just teach it. He did it. And I want you to know that Christianity isn't just about what we say. It says the kingdom of God isn't just in words, but it's in power. I believe today as you're watching, as I, I close this up, that the God himself, that the Holy Spirit himself is going to validate that this message is not pie in the sky, weird theological, theological jargon, but that he actually wants to put his stamp of approval on this by healing some of you that right now are sick. I declare in Jesus' name. If you have a fever right now, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the God that came out of the grave, 
I ask you the Holy Spirit right now, if you're watching in Aliso Viejo, I pray right now your fever break. In Jesus' name at this very hour, look at the clock. I declare right now in Jesus' name that fevers are breaking right now all over. All over Orange County, all over California, people even watching later in the week. I pray. I don't care if you're watching this on Wednesday. I pray in Jesus' name. I declare healing wherever you're at. I pray for the person that has issues with their tonsils. I, I pray for the person that has a perpetual pain in their mouth. I, I ask you, Lord, for the guy that has some sort of tumors uh, and, and like weird, uh, it's like almost like weird cyst or something on their head. I, I pray, Lord, you would heal. Like people have legion, like, like legions. Like, like there's, I just see like there's like different skin conditions and there's different darknesses that are living inside of you. Some of you are suicidal right now. I take authority in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I just speak it right now. It's not me mustering up a loud voice. Listen, it's not the volume of someone's voice. I believe it's the, it's the connection they have to God. And I sense the Holy Spirit right now, right now in your room. He's bringing hope to someone that lost all hope. Someone just went through a really bad separation. And I've, I see God right now. He's actually, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I, the picture I have for somebody. You ever dropped a plastic or maybe it was a glass cup, but the cup didn't break but you had a bunch of ice in it, and the ice spilled out all over the floor. I see God picking up every ice cube, putting it back in the cup, making it cleaner than it's ever been, and actually restoring what was broken, what fell. And I feel like someone just got in a big breakup. Someone just went through a traumatic divorce. And I just want the Lord, I feel like the Lord want me to encourage you right now. Someone's business fell to the ground and just fell apart. And I see God picking it up for you, putting it back together again. And the only explanation is going to be, it's been my father at my lowest moment of my life actually picked up the broken pieces, put them all back together again. And I made it through 2020. I believe in Jesus' name, hope is coming. Say it with me, hope is coming. I want you to write it right now, wherever you're watching this on, put hope is coming. And I want you to do this right now in Jesus' name, by faith. I want you to write down where hope is coming to. Hope is coming in your family. Hope is coming in your children. Hope is coming in your business. Come on, write it right now. Hope is coming in my health. Hope is coming in my stomach. Hope is coming right now in my mind. Hope is coming in my liver. Hope is coming right now in this cancerous predicament. Hope is coming right now through the fever. I declare hope, faith rising right now in Jesus' name. And I want to pray right now, if you're watching, maybe you've never believed in Jesus in your entire life, and there's another group of people right now that you, uh, you have believed in God, but somewhere in your life, you got off a track. You're watching right now, and for every time you wanted to jump off this message, something has kept you coming back. And I believe that right now, God wanted you to watch this at this very minute, because he actually wants you to open the door back up to him in your life. If you want to rededicate, recommit, it's almost like a, a, a couple that's been married for a long time that goes, you know what we need to do? We need to renew our vows. We need to go on the record again in front of all of our loved ones to say, you know what I want to do? I want to recommit my faith. I want to re, re-declare that I'm still as in love with you as I have ever been. The next however many decades of my life I got, I'm going to live them with you. I'm going to love them with you. And it's going to be awesome and beautiful. I feel like some of you watching today, you got off track. And it's been in this down season that God is allowing you to renew your vows to him. If you want to rededicate your life, renew your vows to Jesus today, I want you right now where you're watching, if you're watching on Facebook or on our website, I would love it if you give me a thumbs up. 
If you feel like just the emoji, just give me a thumbs up or write thumbs up if you're watching. If you want to renew, rededicate your life. I got off track. You're not a bad person. You're just someone that got off track. And today, I believe God wants to come into your life. You got to open that door back up. Just put a thumbs up emoji. If you're a young person, you know what I'm talking about. If you're old, just write thumbs up. But I believe that right now, many of you are going to rededicate. I'm, gonna, I'm, just, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And listen to me. Don't ever be embarrassed to proclaim Jesus around Jesus lovers. I, I think if you can't do it around people that love God, if you can't write your name and say thumbs up in front of a room full of people that love God, you will never stand for Jesus in your business place. You'll never stand for God in a boardroom, in a class. Are you following me? So I want you right now, if you need to rededicate your life, you know who you are, your heart's beating out of your chest, right, right now, thumbs up or put a thumbs up. And if you're watching and you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you know that today something's speaking to you, you know it's not a good communicator, it's not a good band, it's not a good church, there's, there's a real presence that's knocking on the door of your heart. And you know right now, man, I've lived without God, let's try living with God. To all my atheist friends watching, the worst thing that can happen if God wasn't real is that you keep, keep living the way you are right now. But if he is real, the potential for everything to change is possible. I want to ask you right now, if you're tuned in, to actually do me, do me a favor right now. And I want you to put a heart. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want you to use a heart emoji. Or right now, just write H-E-A-R-T, heart. And we're going we're gonna to pray right now for you. Either one of those groups right now, I want you to pray wherever you're at. The Bible says if you confess and you believe in your heart, this is where it starts. Not where it ends, where it starts. So pray with me all over the world. Say, Jesus, I invite you to heal me, to forgive me, and to fill me with your sweet Holy Spirit. The same presence that was in Jesus, the same spirit that was in Jesus, I invite into me. Would you allow me to, walk, to go, to live with expectation, to trust, to receive your power, and to live as your witness from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your life, I want to say amen. And I believe that today's a new, new chapter to your story. If you want to get involved, I really encourage you to get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, start reading the New Testament. We believe in the Old Testament, but we take most of our cues from the New Testament. I would, I would encourage you to start reading the book of Mark or Matthew, John, Acts. Start reading the New Testament. And I also encourage you, number two, if you don't have a church, you can go to our Oceans Church website. You go onto our growth tracks. That's, that's the way to get connected to our community. We have our, our growth tracks on there to get deeper in your walk with God. And thirdly, if you don't have a church near you, I would, I would love it if you go on our website, hit contact. We would love to help you find a church wherever you live. We would love to do that for you. We love you. We thank God for you, and we're praying that this would be an awesome week for you. I pray, Lord, as we close today, that you would bless everyone that's watching. I pray you would cause your face to shine upon them. I thank you for healing sick people, giving hope to those that don't have it. And I thank you that, God, today there'd be a reinvigoration of faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit, we love you. We want to we continue to see a rise of people that prescribe to your way. God bless today. Thank you for everyone that tuned in. I pray you have an awesome week in Jesus' name. We love you guys. Amen. Amen.